night where we're there in 2 Samuel chapter number 15. And on Wednesday nights, we've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of 2 Samuel. Tonight, we find ourselves in chapter 15, and Absalom has basically been studying uh, Absalom the last several weeks and been looking at how the character of Absalom has developed through this book. And basically, because of David's lack of leadership and inability to do what he was supposed to do in regards to bringing justice to Absalom's uh, sister, uh, Absalom has now rebelled. And, and in this chapter, we, find the, the, we, we begin to see the climax of the civil war that ensues between David and his son Absalom. And really, what you need to understand, we're, we're going to go through the whole chapter. I'm sorry, we're not going to go through the whole chapter. We're going to go through half the chapter. If you look at the chapter, you'll find that there is a division. The first part of the chapter deals with Absalom and his uh, followers. And then the second part of the chapter deals with David and his followers. We're going to talk about David and his followers and what David does during this time of crisis next week. Tonight we're going to focus on Absalom, the first part of the chapter. But I'd like you to look at verse number 6 to kind of get the point of what's going on here. In verse number 6, the Bible says, uh, And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. I want you to notice this is kind of the key phrase of the chapter. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. See, Absalom was not the rightful leader. Absalom was not the king. He was not ordained by God. He was not ordained by a priest. He was not the one or a prophet. He was not the one that God had called. David was the man that God had put in leadership uh, uh, of Israel. But Absalom basically... In this chapter, he, we see he leads a military coup against David, and he does it by setting the foundation. And for years and years before he ever actually moved against David, he worked at stealing the hearts of the people. Now, here's what you need to understand. This, uh, you say, well, we don't, we're, you know, we don't live in a kingdom where there's a king. But these things apply to us today in several areas because leaders need to be careful to keep the hearts of those that follow them. In whatever area it is, this is highly applicable in church life. Keep your place there in 2 Samuel 15. That's obviously our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 20. Let me show you a verse I've showed you in the past, but let's look at it together. In Acts chapter 20, here we see that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel, which were the citizens of the nation which in, in which David reigned as king. But in Acts chapter number 20, and in verse number 28, the Bible says this, Acts, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts 20 and verse 28 says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Here Paul is talking to pastors, and he's telling them to take heed, to pay attention to themselves and to all the flock, Notice where their authority comes from, over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer. See, you don't become a pastor of a church simply because you choose to become a pastor of a church. There's a, there's a, 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 a training period, and there's uh, characteristics and qualities that need to be attained. But you know what? At the end of the day, it, if, if you're doing what God's called you to do, it's the Holy Ghost that puts you there. And it's the Holy Ghost that moved in the heart of another pastor to ordain you and send you out. And here Paul is saying, hey, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which 
the Holy Ghost made you overseer to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Notice verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing, because Paul's getting ready to leave, he says, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Notice verse 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things. Notice this. To draw away disciples after them. The Bible teaches us that some people come into a church setting simply to draw away disciples, simply to lead people astray, simply to steal the hearts of the people. So you know what? As a pastor, I need to be careful that I am vigilant at, uh, about the Absaloms that might come in to a ministry with the intent to bring division with the intent to steal the hearts of the people. There are many churches that have split. There are many churches that have been uh, hurt by men like Absalom. But you know, that's one area. Let me give you another area that this might apply for. Go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 23. If you're there in 2 Samuel, you're going to go past 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Proverbs 23. Now do me a favor, when you get to Proverbs, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something in Proverbs because we're going to spend a lot of time in Proverbs tonight. We're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it repeatedly throughout the sermon. So make sure you can get to Proverbs quickly. But I want you to notice Proverbs 23 and look at verse number 26. Notice what the the book of Proverbs says uh, about a father speaking to his son. Proverbs 23 and verse 26, the Bible says this, My son, give me thine heart. And let thine eyes observe my ways. Here you have a father pleading with their children or with their child or with their son's heart. And you know what? As a parent, it's your job to endeavor to have the hearts of your children. And here you see in Proverbs uh, that a father saying, My son, give me thine heart. Go to Malachi chapter number 4. The last book in the Old Testament should be fairly easy to find. Very last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4. Look at verse number 6. I'll show you another reference to this. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6, the Bible says, And he shall turn, notice, the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So here we're told that the hearts of the fathers should be turned to the children, and that the hearts of the children should be turned to the father. And here's what I'm just saying. A parent, as a leader, needs to endeavor to have the hearts of their children, to have the love and respect of their children. And here's what you need to understand. Today there are people that want to steal the hearts of your children. There are institutions, there are other friends and peers and entertainment and things in the world and the, and the devil wants to steal the hearts of your children so that they can influence them and not you. Today, there are men that want to come into a church like Verity Baptist Church and destroy the work that we're doing here. How? By stealing the hearts of the individuals and causing them to turn against the rightful leader. Even in marriage, you need to be careful. And we're going to look at a lot of verses in regards to marriage. But you can head back to 2 Samuel 15. In marriage, you know that a husband ought to have the heart of his wife and the wife ought to have the heart of her husband. But there are sometimes those who will come in and attempt, listen to me, gentlemen, there are men that will come and try to steal the heart of your wife. There are women, ladies, that will enter into a relationship 
and attempt to steal the hearts of your husband in the workplace or in a church setting or in some sort of social type way. And we need to guard against those things. And as leaders, we need to be careful that we're not allowing the Absaloms who have no right, who have no God-given authority to steal the hearts of the people that God has given us to lead. As a husband, you better make sure, men, that you're paying attention and that you're keeping, actively attempting to keep the heart of your wife. The heart of your children. And as a pastor, the heart of the people in the church and to keep unity among those things. And we see Absalom steal the hearts of the people. I want to explain to you tonight, if you can make back to 2 Samuel 15, I want to give you uh, some characteristics of those who attempt to steal the hearts of the followers. And then I want to give you some characteristics of followers who are likely to be led astray. And I want you to notice what an Absalom looks like. And this is good because, look, there may be some Absaloms in your teenager's lives. There may be some Absaloms in your spouse's life. There may be some Absaloms that come in to this church. Or we have several men in, in, in our church that one day, Lord willing, will pastor a church. And you know what? There may be an Absalom that comes into your church. And you want to be careful. And you say, well, maybe I'm not the pastor. Maybe you're just a faithful man here. Maybe you're a leader in our ministry. I want you to be vigilant and to know what does an Absalom look like? What are the characteristics of an Absalom? What, what is Absalom like? Let me give you several things to consider tonight. 2 Samuel 15, look at verse 1. The first thing I want you to notice is this. People like Absalom, the characteristics of the leaders who attempt to steal the hearts of the followers, they are overly concerned with their image. Notice verse 1, and it came to pass after this, that Absalom, notice what Absalom does, he prepared him chariots and horses. Now look, he's not getting ready. This is years before he tries to take the kingdom from David, all right? He prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men. I mean, think, think about what, the, the, what 50 men look like. 50 men to run before him. Notice what the Bible says. Look at verse 2, and Absalom rose early and stood beside the way on the gate, and it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, of what city art thou? And he said, thy servant is of of one of the tribes of Israel. Here's what I want you to say. Absalom made it his job to go down to the gate and to meet with individuals, and he was meeting with these people to try to steal the hearts of the people in order to prepare them to take, violently take away the kingdom from David. But here's what's interesting. Every day when Absalom got up to go to work, you know what he did? He got a bunch of chariots together. He got a bunch of horses together. Every day he would send 50 men before him to go to work. I mean, look, when you get up to go to work, what do you do? I mean, hopefully you take a shower, you know, you brush your teeth, you put some clothes on, you go to work, right? This guy is overly concerned on his image. He wants people to look at me. Look, look, he, he shows up with quite an entourage. I mean, he shows up and people are like, whoa, who is this? 50 men, horses, chair. Is this King David? No, it's just Absalom coming to work. Highly interested and highly concerned with his own image. Wants to make sure that he looks like someone to be respected and impressed. Keep your, keep your finger there. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Absaloms are often overly concerned with their image. And here's, and here's, the, here's what you need to understand. They are often spend a lot of time and investment into the exterior, making sure that they look a certain way and that people think a certain way about them at the expense of the interior. 
See, Absalom didn't need 50 men to run before him. He didn't have that type of job or authority in Israel. But yet he wanted to look that way. What he portrayed on the outside was not exactly what was showed on the inside or what was true of him on the inside. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 17. We've talked about this a lot recently, but it's in the text, so we're just going to deal with it. But, but go to 2 Corinthians 10, look at verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. But he that glorieth... Now what does it mean to glory? It means to boast or brag. Notice what it says. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Look, the only boasting and bragging that you and I ought to do ought to be in the Lord. We ought to be talking about the fact, look, you know, know, if you're going to boast and brag, boast and brag about what God has done for you, what God has done in your life, what God has brought to pass in, in, in your life. But look at verse 18. For not he that commendeth. What does it mean to commend? To praise. It comes from the same, it's where we get our word recommend. Right? Somebody asks you for a recommendation. What are you doing? You're saying, hey, this is a good person. You're praising that individual. For, for not he that commendeth, notice, himself is approved. It says, the person that commends themselves, they're not approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. You say, how do you know who's approved? The person that's approved is whom the Lord is using, whom the Lord is commending. Listen to me. Just because somebody tells you, just because somebody puts an image out there and says, I am spiritual, I am authoritative, I am the leader, don't just go, you know, I'm always shocked at how people will just, they will believe things simply because someone says it to them. I mean, someone just, I mean, people say, I'm spiritual. And then people walk around saying, man, so-and-so is so spiritual. You know, literally people have came up to me and said, I'm just amazed how spiritual so-and-so is. And I'm like, why do you think they're spiritual? He's like, well, they told me that they are X, Y, and Z. I'm thinking to myself, man, the last time they showed up for Seoul when it was like six months ago, they're hit and miss in their attendance. They, every time I talk to them, they seem pretty covetous. I don't understand where you get the spiritual thing. But they, but they said they were spiritual. I mean, their Facebook, I mean, you look at their Facebook, they look so spiritual. Well, so did Absalom. Absalom looked like he was real authoritative. Absalom looked like he was a big guy to mess around with. He was overly concerned with his image. But you know what? Absalom was a loser. He had nothing else to do but to hang out at the gate and talk to people. While King David was running a kingdom, you understand what I'm saying? They're overly concerned with their image. Go back to 2 Samuel 15. Not only are Absalom's overly concerned with their image, Absalom's, the type of people that try to steal the hearts, they lavishly use flattery. Notice verse 2 again. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when... Now, here's the key, okay? You say, how do you know that it was flattery? Here's the key. Any man. You see that? It says, when any man. Not a certain man. Not specific man. But when any man. When anybody. When anyone that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto them and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Now here's the thing. You say, well, how do you know that Absalom was not sincere when he was telling the people, Thy matters are good and right? Here's how I know he wasn't sincere, because he's saying it to every man. I mean, you can't tell me that every person that shows up at the door of David with a controversy is is good and is right. I mean, some of them had to be wrong. Some of them had to be, you know, not correct. But just whoever shows up, he's saying, thy matters are good and right. You know what he's doing? Flattering. See, 
In the Bible, flattery is highly associated with someone stealing the hearts because it's highly associated with people enticing a married person into adultery. Let me show it to you. Did you keep your place in Proverbs? Go back to Proverbs chapter 2. Look at verse 16. You find that God highlights this idea of flattery with someone trying to entice someone to commit adultery. And in a sense, they're stealing the hearts that belong to their spouse away from them and, and trying to steal it to someone who, has not that, who doesn't have that authority. Let's, let's look at it together. Proverbs 2, look at verse 16. To deliver thee from a strange woman. Now, a strange woman doesn't mean like she's strange, like, you know, like, you know, that everybody had, everybody grew up with that lady on the street that had like 50 cats or something. If you have 50 cats, I'm sorry. I don't know that, all right? You know, you're that, you're that neighbor. But if, that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, like, you're strange. He's saying strange woman means it's, it's, it's strange to you, meaning it's not your woman. It's not your wife. It's a stranger. He says, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger, notice, which flattereth with her words. And the context is about the woman that wants to entice you to adultery. Go to Proverbs 6. Look at verse 24. Proverbs 6. It's a couple of chapters over. You're there in Proverbs 2. Look at Proverbs 6. Verse number 24. The Bible says to keep thee from the evil woman. What's evil? It means hurtful. The woman that wants to hurt you. To keep thee from the evil woman. Notice, from the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman. Go to Proverbs chapter 7. Look at verse 5. Proverbs chapter 7 and verse number 5. Proverbs 7, 5 says this, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. Go to verse 21, same chapter, Proverbs chapter 7. And look, if you read all of Proverbs chapter 7, it's all about adultery. I mean, the whole context about this guy coming adultery with this woman. Look at verse 21. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield with the flattering of her lips. She forced him. Now, let me, let me go in and say this. There's nothing wrong with giving someone a compliment, all right? But a compliment and flattery are two different things. They're similar, so oftentimes people get them confused, but they're not the same thing. You say, well, what is the difference between a compliment and a flattery? And if you struggle with this or if you, you, know, you don't understand this, you ought to write this down, okay? A compliments are sincere. They are honest, they are modest, and they come from a heart of gratitude. They are sincere, meaning they're honest, they're modest, and they come from a heart of gratitude. So here's what you mean. When someone truly in their heart says, man, I am so grateful, you know, there's often times that I give people compliments in our church for things they do. But you know what? I'm not just setting them up, you know. I, I truly am thankful for the things they do. They show up early and they stay late and they take care of things that I used to have to do and now I don't have to worry about. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with giving somebody a sincere, honest, modest compliment that comes from a heart of gratitude. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Bible teaches that we ought to be thankful and we ought to praise people in the sense of, of when they do things that are well. You said, what's the difference between that and flattery? Flattery is cheap, it's over the top, and it's meant to manipulate. I mean, you can tell the difference. Sometimes people are like, Pastor, that was a great sermon. I really appreciate that. It really helped me. And then people are just like, you are the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm just like, what do you want? <laughs> you know, 
What, what do you need? You know, it's like, you are amazing. This is the most, I mean, I've had people tell me, like, this is the most amazing church I've ever, you know, it's like, I'm never going to see that person again. You know, because here's the thing, they just want money, you know, or they just want something. Here's the thing, flattery is cheap, it's over the top, and it's meant to manipulate. Compliments are sincere. They're honest, they're modest, and they come from a heart of gratitude. And here's what you need to understand. When someone is using flattery on you, they're setting you up. Just understand that. You're there in Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 20. Look at verse 19. Proverbs 20 and verse 19. Whenever I preach this and no one ever says, like, good job on the sermon, Pastor, because everybody's like, I don't want to flatter you, you know, whatever. There's nothing wrong with a compliment, all right? But um, I want to be careful with flattery. Proverbs 20, look at verse 19. Proverbs 20 and verse 19, the Bible says, He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Notice what it says. Therefore, meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Look at chapter 29 and verse 5. Proverbs 29 and verse 5. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 29 and verse 5. A man that flattereth, Proverbs 29 verse 5, a man that flattereth his neighbor, notice, spreadeth a net for his feet. He's setting him up. He's putting a net at his feet. He wants to capture him. How does he do it? He gives him cheap flattery. He gives him over-the-top flattery. He gives him flattery that's meant to manipulate. Go, go back to the second How do we know that Absalom was using flattery? It was cheap because he was saying it to everybody. It was meant to manipulate because he had an agenda. The agenda was he wanted to take over the kingdom and he needed people to like him. So what do Absaloms do? Number one, they are overly concerned with their own image. Number two, they lavishly use flattery. Number three, they subtly criticize leadership. They subtly, and that's the key word, subtly criticize leadership. 2 Samuel 15, look at verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. 2 Samuel 15 and verse 3. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Now, look, did he say, the king just doesn't care about you? No, he didn't say that. He's a little more subtle than that. He said, you know, it's just the king hasn't given that responsibility to somebody yet. The king, but here's what he's doing. He's criticizing the leadership. And people, you know, it's always funny to me. Go, go to the book of Jude. Jude, towards the, the, at the end of the New Testament, you got the book of Revelation. Right before Revelation, you got Jude. Jude chapter 1. It's always funny to me because people like expect, they expect Absalom to show up here, you know, just like dressed in red with a pitchfork and horns, you know, and just like, your pastor's an idiot, let's split the church. You know, it's like, unless that happens, they're like, well, no, so-and-so, he can't be an Absalom. It's like, look, Absaloms are subtle, do you know that? You say, how do you, how do you know? They don't attack the king directly, they attack him indirectly. They said, there's no man deputy to the king to hear thee. The king, it's not the, it's not the king, it's just he hasn't given someone the job that you need done. And you know what? Whenever someone criticizes leadership, that person is ungodly. You say, how can you say that? Well, the Bible says it. Jude chapter 1, look at verse 8. Now, if you know the context of Jude, and we're going to look at Second Peter here in a minute, you know that what it's talking about is false prophets who are reprobates. And notice how they are described. Jude 1, verse 8. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. Notice these words. Underlining them in your Bible. Despise dominion. You know what the word dominion means? It means the one who is in control or power. It comes from the word uh, to dominate. 
They say they despise dominion. Whoever's in charge, they despise that person and speak evil of dignities. What's a dignity? A person of title or a person of position. Here the Bible tells us that these false prophet reprobates despise dominion and they speak evil of dignities. Go to 2 Peter chapter number 2. You're there in Jude. You're going to go past 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John into the book of 2 Peter. If you've ever studied Jude and 2 Peter, you'll find that these are parallel passages. They deal with basically the same things. And notice how 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10 talks about these false prophets who the Bible says crept in unawares. They came in without you knowing. I'm sorry, they didn't show up with the pitchfork. They didn't show up with the red cape. They didn't show up saying, I'm filled with the devil and I'm here to cause problems. They didn't do that. They're a little more subtle than that. The Bible says that the devil is transformed into an angel of light. They looked real spiritual. Man, when they showed up with their 50 men, I mean, I thought, I thought they were real spiritual. Yeah, so did I. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 2, and verse 10. But chiefly... Them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Now, the word government here is being used as the, the, in authority. It, it's not just a government like, like the government of our nation, although that applies. But, you know, within a church, there's government. There's an authority structure. In the home, there's government. There's an authority structure. And here the Bible tells us that these people despise government. Presumptuous are they. Self-willed. They are, notice, not afraid to speak evil of dignities. They're not afraid to speak evil of the person with the title or the position. And here's the difference between Absalom and David. David was afraid to touch God's anointed. Even when Saul was wrong, even when Saul was in sin, even when Saul was completely out of line, David said, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. I'm not going to speak evil of dignities. I'm not going to go against the man that God has put in charge. But you've got, a, uh, you've got Absalom, this little punk, who shows up and says, well, you know, the king, he's dropping the ball. And listen to me very careful. There's no reason ever for you to be having dinner with another church member and be discussing what you don't agree with about Verity Baptist Church or the pastor without one of you trying to bring division into the ministry. What is, what is the point? I mean, explain to me, what is the reasoning for that? If you have a problem with me, then bring it to me. And by the way, there's no reason for you to ever be sitting at dinner and talking with another church member about somebody else in this church. What's the point of that? Explain that to me, please. Show me in the Bible where there's any profit to that or that spiritual in any way. Because it's not. Because you're dealing with an Absalom. Because you're dealing... Well, they didn't really say that the problem was the pet. They're never going to say the problem is bad. They're going to say, well, you know, this church is just... You know, the way that it's run, I just think that... And, the, and look, it's subtle. It's, it's brought in to try to subtly criticize the leadership. But they want to do it in a way where they can say, well, I never really actually said. When you call them out on it. But you know, that's never stopped me. I still call them out on it. <laughs> Go to 2 Samuel. Chapter 15. I've been doing this for six years. I've dealt with enough Absaloms. I'm sick and tired of all of them. So at this point, I just deal with it. Second Samuel chapter 15. Look at verse number four. You say, have you dealt with Absaloms in this church? Man, we deal with Absaloms all the time. Well, I never noticed them because you're not the leader. Because you're not paying attention. If you're paying attention, you probably notice them. If you paid attention to the sermon, you probably start noticing. Second Samuel chapter 15, look at verse 4. I said, number one, they are overly concerned with their image. I said, number two, they lavishly use flattery. I said, number t- three, they subtly criticize leadership. Number four, 
I, I hope you guys that are going to go into ministry are taking notes of this because this, this will help you. They openly promote themselves. Notice what Absalom says. Look at verse 4. Absalom said, moreover. So he just got done saying, there's no man deputed to the king. And then he says this, oh, that I were made a judge. You see this? Oh, that I were made a judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. Now, here's the thing, Dave, you know, Absalom. When you're the king, you're not going to have time. You know why David's not at the gate? meeting with every person that shows up that has a contract. You know why? Because he's running a kingdom. Because he has a job. Because he has responsibility. And, and, and I've, literally, I've literally had people come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, uh, I had this problem with my marriage, but so-and-so said that you're too busy and that they would be willing to talk to me. Red flag, Absalom. He's like, well, they had time. You know why they had time? Because they don't go soul winning. You know why they have time? Because they don't preach three sermons a week. You know why they have time? Because they don't have 150 other people calling them with, it, with needing advice. But here's the thing. That's not their job. Je- Absalom is asking for King David's job. He's saying, oh, that I were made a judge. You know who's made the judge of Israel? David. And if you have to wait in line for David, you know what? You ought to wait in line for David. The problem with Saul was that he wasn't willing to wait for Samuel, the man of God. And you know what? If Samuel's late, then you just wait. And you don't overstep your boundaries. And you don't say, well, Absalom said that I could give him marriage counseling, that he would give me marriage counseling or parenting counseling or financial counseling. And these people always position themselves as your spiritual leader. Did you notice my 50 men? Aren't you impressed? Let me make myself a leader. And they openly promote themselves. He says, oh, that I were made a judge in the land. Go back to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, look at verse 9. Proverbs chapter 12, look at verse 9. Proverbs 12, 9. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 12, 9. He that is despised and hath a servant, notice, is better. He said, it's better for you to be despised and have a servant than to be, than to, than he that, notice, honoreth himself and lacketh bread. Go to Proverbs 20, look at verse 6. Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Proverbs 20 and verse 6. This is the Facebook verse. I didn't use it. I don't think I used this in my Facebook sermon. I should have. But this is like, if, if Facebook had a life verse, this is it. Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Go to Proverbs 25. Look at verse 27. Proverbs 25, verse 27. Proverbs 25 and verse 27. The Bible says, It is not good to eat much honey, so for men, notice, to search their own glory is not glory. For men to search their own glory is not glory. Go to Proverbs 27, look at verse 2. Proverbs 27, look at verse 2. You say, why are you showing us so many verses on this? Because I want you to know the Bible talks a lot about this. Proverbs 27, verse 2. Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth. A stranger and not thine own lips. See, Absalom, here's the problem. If you are so great, so big and so bad, why are you the only one promoting yourself? Why is no one else taking notice and saying, man, we ought to make Absalom the judge? You know why? Because Absaloms openly promote themselves. Go to Proverbs 30. Look at verse 32. Let me show you one last one. Proverbs 30 and verse number 32. Proverbs 30 and verse 32, the Bible says this. If thou hast done foolishly, notice, in lifting up thyself. Or if thou hast thought evil, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. 
He says, if you're constantly promoting yourself, saying, oh, well, if I got to run that ministry, if I got to make those decisions, if I got to, look, if that's you, you need to put your hand over your mouth. Or if you're doing that on Facebook, you need to put your hand over your typing fingers or whatever. And lifting up thyself, or if thou hast thought evil, lay thine hand upon the mouth. So what are the characteristics of Absalom? Number one, they are overly concerned with their own image. Number two, they lavishly use flattery. Number three, they, number three, they subtly criticize leadership. Number four, they openly promote themselves. Let me give you a last one. Number five, when it comes to the Absaloms in this world. Second Samuel chapter 15, look at verse 5. Second Samuel chapter 15 and verse 5, the Bible says this, and it, and, and it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom, don't miss this, to all. Is that word all? You ought to underline that in your Bible. You ought to circle that. To all Israel that came to the king for judgment, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. The Bible says all the men, all of them, he did this with. He did this act, or at least attempted to. You know, here's another characteristic. Another characteristic of Absalom's, they are in constant communication with everyone. Whenever someone is in constant communication with everyone in the church, that's a huge red flag for me. Because you know what I've noticed over the last six years of ministry and, and, the, and the 30 years that I've been part of an independent fundamental Baptist church is that generally in church, not everybody knows each other. Even in a church our size, we have 150 people come to our church on Sunday mornings. You don't know everyone's names. Do you? There's very few of you that do. That do. You know who does? You know who does? My wife. You know who does? Pastor Jimenez. You know why? Because it's our job to. Because it's our job to know you. Because it's our job to pray for you. Because it's our job to be concerned with you. It's always funny to me. People are like, uh, Brother so-and-so, you know, we haven't seen him in, in, in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, no, we haven't seen him in 12 weeks. Man, how, how do you know that? Because it's my job to know that. Because it's my job to know how many times you've missed. You know, I pay attention to those things. Because it's my job. But you know what? Generally, in church life, people come to church and they have five to ten friends. Whether the church is 150 people, whether the church is 3,000 people, they're going to have five to ten friends that they know, five to ten friends that they hang out with, five to ten friends that they will. And other people, they'll recognize them if they see them at the store, and they'll be like, what's so-and-so's name? Yeah, that person I know. But you know what? Generally, people have five to ten friends in church. And they don't really know everyone unless they have a job here where I tell them your job is to make sure you know everyone's name. So when people show up, and listen to me, this has happened several times at Verity Baptist Church, and it's never failed. When some woman shows up and she's just jotting down everyone's email addresses, everyone's phone numbers, every single time that happened, that person turned out to be a bad person. Because when people are in communication with everyone, there's a problem. There's a reason. Absalom did on this manner, did Absalom to all Israel. Why do you have to do that with all Israel? Why do you need all? I mean, there's some people, it was like, my wife and I were like, just go to so-and-so. They've got a better updated, you know, mailing list of, of our church than we do. And they got a more updated mailing list of our church than we do. And every single time people, and look, that's a red flag. People show up here and they're like, it's like their second time here and they're just like, what's your email address? What's your phone number? What's your blah, blah, blah? Every single time they've been bad people. Every single time they've caused us problems. Every single time we've had to deal with issues that they're spreading 
in the church because Absaloms are in constant communication with everyone. So the first point I want you to see is the characteristics of those who steal the hearts of the followers. And you got to be careful. You know, there may be someone who's trying to steal the heart of your spouse. And usually, you know, it's always funny. You know, it's like the people that are trying to commit adultery, they're really concerned with their image. You know, they're going to make sure they look real nice at work. And they're going to lavish with flattery and subtly say, well, if your husband, if I were your husband, you know, I would. Hey, be careful. If I were your wife, I would rub your feet every night. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> they subtly criticize. They openly promote. They're in constant communication. Got to be careful of those Absaloms. So we see the characteristics of those who steal the hearts of fathers. But let me give you the characteristics of those who fall for this. The men and women that follow them. Go back to 2 Samuel 15. Look at verse 2. So we saw the Absaloms in this world, but let's look at the characteristics of those who follow Absalom. Number one, they focus on people that are openly disgruntled. 2 Samuel 15, 2. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way on the gate, and it was so that when, notice, any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment. So a guy shows up, he says, what are you here for? And he says, man, I'm just in love with King David. King David's been the greatest thing that ever happened. You know, King David helped me in this one situation. He brought judgment, and not my wife baked him some cookies. We just want to bring him a thank you. Absalom's like, have a good day. <laughs> but a guy shows up and says, man, I just got a problem with King David. He didn't do right in this situation. He said, hey, let's, let's go over here and talk. You know who Absalom's focused on? People who are openly disgruntled complainers. When people are just complaining about, complaining about my finances, complaining about my marriage, complaining about the church people, complaining about the misery, you're going to attract Absaloms to you because they're looking, they're focusing for people that are openly disgruntled. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, I just want to explain real quickly. 2 Samuel 15, 7, and it came to pass after 40 years, people often refer to this as a contradiction in Scripture. I just want you to understand, the 40 years is not referring to the fact that Absalom was sitting at the gate doing this for 40 years. That would be impossible. Uh, David only reigned for 40 years and six months. The 40 years is referring, it's referring to either Absalom's age or to the fact that David had been reigning for 40 years, which is basically the same number. Uh, so that's not a contradiction there, just for those of you that care about that. That Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord. In Hebron, look at verse 8, For thy servant vowed a vow while I abode in Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom, I want you to notice what the Bible says here. But Absalom sent spies. You see that? sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Notice verse 13. And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. Now here's the problem. 
the guy that shows up in chapter in verse 13 should have showed up like eight verses earlier. I mean, he should have showed up a long time. Someone should have showed up a while ago and said, hey, David, listen, not trying to get between you and your son. I just thought you might want to go. No, he's out there, you know, telling everybody that there's no man deputy to the king to, to, to help them out. And he's out there telling people, oh, that I were made a judge in the land. Someone should have brought that to David. And it wasn't until, like, the split had already happened. It wasn't until the church was already meeting in another location. It wasn't until the, the divorce was already filed. It wasn't until the, 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 the child ran away from home. It wasn't until it was too late that somebody shows up in verse 13 and says, Hey, by the way, David, the hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. But you know why this happened? Because Absalom's focus on people who are overly private. You understand what I'm saying? Listen to me very carefully. I don't need to know everything about your life, and I don't really care. I'm busy. But if you are leading your family in a way where you're making statements to your children like, now don't tell people in church that we are, there's something wrong with your heart. There's something wrong with you. And you are open to be led astray by the absolute. There's nothing in my life that I have to hide from anybody. Did you know that? I'm not on Facebook, but I could put everything I do all day long, everywhere I go, and not hide it from anybody. I have nothing to be ashamed about. And people were like, don't tell pastor that. We're going to be meeting at Starbucks. <laughs> Why should I not tell pastor that? I wonder. This is a true story. Brother Jose, I've told this story before. Brother Jose, before he came to our church, he was a member of a church in the Bay Area for years and years and years and years and years. He was one of the ushers there, and I, he helped in, in, with, with that ministry. And the pastor of the church went out of town. And a bunch of men in the church get a text message saying, hey, let's meet at Starbucks and let's have a talk about the direction that our church is going. You know, and Jose's like, is pastor going to be there? Did he come home early from his trip? No, 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 we're not going to have pastor involved in that. Jose's like, I don't want anything to do with that. Don't, don't tell the pastor. We don't want to stress him out. And, you know, of course, Jose did the right thing and went and told the pastor. It turns out at this meeting, this guy is trying to get these men to like, let's kick the pastor out and let's take this church down a liberal road. And I don't like all this hard preaching, blah, blah, blah. And of course, they kicked that guy out. But listen to me. You know, obviously, thank God that they read Jose wrong. But you know what? There were many people that showed up to that meeting that said, oh, okay, yeah, let's meet at Starbucks. And I won't tell pastor. What do you want to talk about? You know why? Because they focus on people who are overly private. And there's something wrong with you if you're keeping secrets. So look, if you're keeping secrets, what are you doing wrong? If I'm not doing anything wrong, why do, I have to, why do I have to hide it from somebody? Why do I have to keep it from someone? Absalom's focus on people that are openly disgruntled. Absalom's focus on people that are overly private. Number three, Absalom's focus on people that are easily deceived. Look at verse 11. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called and they went in their simplicity. You know what simple means in the Bible? It's a nice way of saying this word, dumb. And they knew not anything. See, they focus on people that they can easily deceive. And you know, there's been, often there's been times that people come to this church, they try to spread their stupid garbage here, we find out about them, we tell them to leave, we attempt to hit the road, and then they try to draw away people with them. And sometimes I try to fight it, but sometimes I just have to say, you know what? That's collateral damage. That person is way too simple to even try to help. They're like, well, I just don't see what the big deal is. Neither did these guys. They knew not anything. 
They didn't get it. They didn't see it. They weren't vigilant. It's, there's a reason why one of the characteristics, one of the qualifications of a pastor is to be vigilant. It means you're paying attention. It means you're watching what people are doing. They focus on people that are easily deceived. And listen to me. When someone walks up to you and gives you cheap flattery, and you're just like, oh, do it again. You're, you're an idiot. You're simple. I can't help that. I can't help you. I'm, part of me is just like, just go, you know. If they can just win you over with like, you're so great. Your matters are good and right. It's just pastor that. You, look, you know what? You can't help that individual. Make sure you're not that individual that went in their simplicity and they knew not anything. See, Absalom's focused on people that are openly disgruntled. Absalom's focused on people who are overly private. Absalom's focused on people who are easily deceived. And here's what happens. Look at verse 12. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite. We'll deal with Ahithophel another week. David's counselor from his city, Ephraim from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong. For the people increased continually with Absalom. And there came a messenger to David saying, The heart of the men of Israel are after Absalom. See, here's where David failed. He allowed all of this to happen. And wasn't being the vigilant leader he should have been. Look, you don't want to deal... Look, before you're dealing with the rebellious teenager who says, Well, my boyfriend, he really loves me and you don't love me. Look, you've already lost the heart of that child. You understand that? You've already lost. You know, before you're, you're, you're staring a divorce in, 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 the, in, the, in, in the face and, and your spouse is saying, well, Bill at work, well, you know, Mary at work, you know, well, they understand me and they, you know, always tell me how nice I look. Look, before you're dealing with, once you're dealing with that, you've already stole, you've, they've already stolen the hearts. You understand that? You know, when, when, the, when the 250 men with Korah show up, and they're telling, you know, Moses, you take too much upon you. You've already lost those people. You might as well just pray that God opens up the earth and, you know, cast them into the pit. Because they, they, you've already lost their hearts. You want to fight. And I'm not telling you not to fight for the hearts of your wife or your, or your husband or your children. But what you want to do is pay attention before you lose their hearts. And be vigilant with these Absaloms. And listen to me very careful. There are people in this church that I make a point of trying to either get them to get right or get them to get out because they're bad people, because they promote themselves openly, because they subtly criticize leadership, because they're trying to steal the hearts of the people. And you better be careful with your kids, with your wife, with your husband, your future ministry. Better be careful you don't mess up like David did. And he got the news in verse 13 when it would have been helpful to get it in verse 3 and deal with the problem. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father.